This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, December 15th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Voodoo gets the green light, recreators help CPW track bighorn sheep, opponent with Joanna Spindler, and a mountain weather forecast. A new affordable housing project in Telluride will soon be breaking ground. Telluride Town Council has officially approved the money needed to move forward with the Voodoo Housing Project. As you may recall, the site is located at the northwest corner of Willow Street and Pacific Avenue, directly west of the post office in the town of Telluride. That's Lance McDonald, project manager for the town of Telluride, speaking before town council this week. So the building is basically comprised of a commercial use on the ground floor over most of the footprint, with housing units on the second, first, second, third, and fourth floors. The historic shed is to be rehabilitated, rehabilitated, and uh, is also part of the tenant-finished office space for the project. In total, the project will create an additional 27 housing units, ranging from studios up to four bedrooms. There will also be commercial space up for rent for public and nonprofit entities, a parking garage, and a new location for the free box. The project has also been designed to be net zero ready. Meaning it's all electric, and then the roof has been designed to, has been prepped for, to add solar panels to the roof in the future. We also have a small solar array on the building that will offset the uh, electrical use of heating the ramp into the parking garage, and also to offset some of the usage of the uh, downspouts and gutters that are heated in the project. While the building will be large, nearly 43,000 square feet in total, McDonald notes architects took care with the mass and scale. One thing that I think the architects did a very good job with is uh, breaking up a large building into, you know, um, the, the mass and scale is broken up very well for this neighborhood and for this for this site. Um, it's, uh, in many ways, I, I believe it does read as a, as a, it would not be distinguishable as like an affordable housing project. It looks just like a typical project uh, for downtown Telluride. When it comes to who will get to live in the units, the town plans to hold a lottery once the project is near completion. Town council is planning to reserve up to three units for town employees and one unit for a mental health professional. That will leave roughly 23 units for the general community and the project will be going to a higher income crowd. The recommendation for the THA subcommittee was for 110% AMI to 170% AMI as the targeted rents for the project. Now, one thing to keep in mind is 110% San Miguel County AMI right now for a two-person household is $84,110. So that's two people, two-person household at 110 AMI is $84,000. Uh, is the combined income of $84,000 per year. That increases to 130000 $130, per year if you're at the 170 AMI level. So if you're 170% AMI, that would be the maximum on this project. Your household income would be approximately 130000 That's a two-income household. While the rental rate will be higher than other Telluride-owned projects, Town Manager Scott Robson notes a higher AMI and rent structure does fulfill a need in the community. This is hitting a, a bit of the hole in the donut, if you will, of that. Uh, again, it, it feels on the upper end. It is on the upper end of what we typically offer um, as far as um, town uh, own product. But um, if you're looking at 
county employees, town employees, uh, nonprofit, even you know middle management or upper upper uh, those dentists, doctors that we're trying to attract to town, this begins um, to address some of those needs as well that have been kind of caught in the middle between uh, those low AMIs that we offer and the and the higher. And so um, I don't think this is a bad thing at all that we're trying to address this a uh, little bit more into this spectrum that, again, all resort towns are struggling with finding this particular product. Town Council unanimously approved moving forward with the Voodoo Project. McDonald says they could start site work as early as January or February 2023, with a target completion date of August 2024. Many hikers, skiers, walkers, and even drivers love to stop and snap a photo of wildlife sightings whenever they get the chance. But depending on what you've spotted, Colorado Parks and Wildlife might like to see that photo. KOTO's Gavin McGough has a report on how citizen science and wildlife spottings can help CPW manage bighorn sheep populations. Before European settlement, bighorn sheep were everywhere in the West. Historically, there were large numbers of, of bighorn sheep throughout the West, you know, millions of animals historically. Then those populations really declined through the um, basically with European settlement, European expansion. Some of that was related to overhunting, some of that was related to habitat conversion, but most of that decline was related to uh, disease issues. That's Jamin Grigg, the senior wildlife biologist for Southwest Colorado with the state's Parks and Wildlife Office. While bighorn sheep have rebounded in some areas, they've never fully recovered, and the threat of disease remains high. Grigg explains the source of disease is domestic livestock. Domestic sheep can carry an old world bacteria that originated in, in Europe, but if passed to wild bighorn populations can cause respiratory disease in wild bighorn populations, and that can lead sometimes to uh, die-offs within the population, where um, oftentimes it can reduce lamb survival. Public lands are host to many different uses. They're home to wildlife, a space for recreation, and grazing territory for domestic livestock. It is often the job of parks and wildlife to make sure these uses can coexist. Greg explained that bighorn sheep often share terrain with domestic sheep. But yeah, oftentimes bighorns tend to exist in high elevation, rugged country, oftentimes public lands, federal lands, um, and those are the same landscapes that that are preferred by you know domestic sheep during the summer months. So oftentimes, where we see conflicts are either like either May or June through October, November. The early months of winter mating season can also be a challenge, says Greg. If domestic um, sheep are, are left in close proximity to wild bighorn populations during the rut, um, which generally occurs in uh, like November, December, when uh, wild bighorns are, are rutting, are mating, and uh, they'll actually try to, try to mate with um, domestic ewes during that time period. Shared habitat can, of course, lead to the spread of disease threatening bighorn sheep. Part of CPW's solution actually relies on that third group of backcountry users, recreators. Throughout summer and into the winter mating season, CPW posts signs asking hikers and backcountry users to report their wildlife sightings. Here's Greg. This is one of, of a number of examples where, where CPW is able to, to use citizen science and use 
folks who are who are out on the landscape, out recreating, to basically just gather additional information. Recreators who spot a bighorn sheep are encouraged to call their regional Colorado Parks office to report the sighting. iNaturalist, an app and a website where citizen scientists can upload photos of wildlife, is also frequently checked by CPW staff. If CPW fears a conflict between domestic and bighorn sheep, they can work to persuade the animals to a new range. Greg adds that recreators should keep a distance so they themselves don't become a stressor to wildlife populations. You know, we don't want a lot of hikers or backpackers, recreators out um, pushing bighorn sheep out of their preferred habitats, um, especially when they have young lambs. You know, we caution folks um, against getting close enough that they're that they're really impacting those those animals' movements and, and use of the landscape. So um, we certainly appreciate the information, um, but also ask folks to, to keep a safe distance, you know, watch animals through binoculars, spotting scopes. With the climate shifting, options for backcountry skiers and recreators expanding, and a host of other factors, habitat patterns are unpredictable. By reporting sightings, recreators can help maintain balance in the backcountry. As we move towards the end of the year, many of our hearts and minds turn towards what we're grateful for. Joanna Spindler also thinks and writes about the imperfections of life. I feel like part of really trying hard to be grateful is understanding that you won't feel grateful about everything. Spindler is San Miguel County's Poet Laureate. Like I wrote this near Thanksgiving and I was thinking about all of the immense things that I have to be grateful for, but also how like... Yeah, life is also just life, and it's not going to be impeccable. Spindler stopped by KOTO to share her poem, Days of Miracles and Blunders. Lost keys, that pesky hangnail, the appointments that we all forget to make. Mistake after mistake, so seldom perfect, always floppy, being human is a mess, I tell you. It's the truth. We're all just visiting. Accidental mashups made of molecules and follicles and teeth and stuff. Electrified, emotional, and maybe bad at math. But somehow, somehow yet, we dream. And rattling around our silly skulls are all the songs we've ever heard, maybe word for word and full of joy. Take a sec. Look down your arms at your good hands. Within you beats a heart of meat and gold, and air runs through you much like love. Here you are, and may I say that you, you are the drop, the last outlandish drop that overfills the cup of mortals and spills us somehow fully into wonder. That was San Miguel County Poet Laureate Joanna Spindler reading her poem, Days of Miracles and Blunders.
A backcountry gear swap is coming to Telluride this weekend. San Juan Outdoor Adventures, Jagged Edge, and San Juan Field School Telluride Avalanche School are teaming up to help members of the community buy and sell all the gear their hearts desire. Swappers are encouraged to buy and sell backcountry skis, bindings, boots, split boards, backpacks, avalanche rescue gear, ice climbing gear, clothing, and mountaineering equipment. 20% of all sales will go towards supporting the San Juan Field School's avalanche education programs in Telluride schools. Gear check-in and drop-off for the swap will take place at Jagged Edge on Friday, December 16th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Shop the swap at Jagged Edge on Saturday, December 17th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. It never hurts to know how to take care of yourself. This week, the Wilkinson Public Library, Telluride Education Foundation, and the Telluride Marshals Department are teaming up to provide a basic self-defense class for women. The bilingual class is designed for middle school girls and up with male and female instructors. The class will be taught in two parts. The first will take place on Saturday, December 17th, with the second in January. Registration is available at telluridelibrary.org. Classes are available at noon and a second at 2.30 p.m. They will take place in the community room next to the Marshall's Department. Denver is opening a second emergency shelter to accommodate the ongoing influx of migrants into the city. Like the first, this second shelter is also located in a recreation center. A third recreation center is being used as a reception site where arriving migrants can access the shelter and other resources. About 270 migrants are currently staying at the first emergency shelter that opened on December 6th. More than 60 others are staying at area churches. Officials continue to ask community organizations for additional shelter space. Protesters across the country on Saturday demanded U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack revoke permits for the Uinta Basin Railway, an 88-mile railway that would connect oil fields in Utah to existing rail lines. And they're not the only ones challenging the project. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Aspen Public Radio's Hallie Zander has the latest. An environmental impact statement predicts up to 350,000 barrels of crude oil would travel along the new railroad in northeast Utah every day. Jonathan Godis, the mayor of Glenwood Springs, criticized the limited scope of the study at a protest on Saturday. The impacts were only considered on the 88 miles from the uh, spot where they're extracting the oil to the main line. They didn't look at any of the other impacts from that point to the Gulf of Mexico truly. Glenwood Springs is one of 10 counties and municipalities in Colorado that signed an amicus brief requesting a court overturn the railway's approval. Protesters hope Vilsack will use his authority to stop the project. Hallie Zander, Aspen Public Radio News. New forecasts for the Colorado River paint a grim picture. Climate change and steady demand are shrinking the water supply for 40 million people. At the nation's largest dams, that means the ability to generate hydropower could soon be under threat. KUNC's Alex Hager introduces us to the Glen Canyon Dam, once a mighty piece of western infrastructure, now possibly unable to function. The year is 1963. It's the middle of the space race. America is expanding and building at a breakneck pace. In the Colorado River Basin, that means controlling the water. The story of winning the great American West has been essentially a story of its dams. 
This archival footage from the Bureau of Reclamation zooms in on northern Arizona, right near the Utah border. It's the Glen Canyon Dam, which, on completion, will be the second highest dam in the United States, fourth largest concrete structure in the world, and one of the greatest construction projects of the 20th century. For decades, the dam has held up to its lofty reputation. It produces hydropower for about 5 million people in seven states. It holds back Lake Powell, a huge reservoir, which helps keep taps flowing in major cities hundreds of miles away. But now, dropping water levels are threatening all of that, and Bob Martin sees it up close. This is all original. So this is like pulling your, your grandpa's 1964 Cadillac out of the garage and it's in the same condition it was in 1964. Martin is standing in front of a giant electric turbine, which he manages for reclamation. It feels like the inside of a submarine with hulking steel fittings and an imposing column of spinning metal. Drought and steady demand have shrunk Lake Powell to record lows, threatening the water supply that spins those turbines. Anybody in hydropower you know, their whole career is based on reliability of these units. So to come into a power plant being quiet would be very, very disturbing for me. But that silence could become a reality. If water levels get a little lower, air bubbles would get into the turbines and cause serious damage. Some projections show water getting so low, it wouldn't be able to pass through the dam normally, instead relegated to little-used backup tubes near the bottom. Kyle Rohrink is director of the Great Basin Water Network. The architects of the dam never expected us to be at this precipice. The latest forecasts show water dropping to those backup pipes as soon as this summer. If that happens, it would mean the end of hydropower. To avoid that, federal officials may ratchet back the amount of water flowing downstream, which would leave much less water flowing through the Grand Canyon and down to cities like Los Angeles and Phoenix. All of these critical milestones have quickly gone from hypothetical to possible and even likely. Rohrink says decisions made over the next couple of years will be pivotal. How do we uh, rewrite the wrongs of the past? And how do we ensure a stable future for our fellow Americans, uh, tribes, and folks in Mexico as well? The current river crisis, the one that's already forced cutbacks to some water allocations, Sarah Dant says it's a sign of something bigger. And I think it's also this very stark and obvious indication that we have so long not understood the power of aridity. Dant is a historian at Utah's Weber State University. She says nature is winning out in places where conditions are too dry to sustain life as we know it. Climate change is making dry places even drier. Even John Wesley Powell, the explorer for whom Lake Powell is named, warned that the West would never be as green as the East. But nobody wanted to pay attention to him because, you know, let's gung-ho, boom, boom, here we, here we go, let's settle. And we've been putting off this reckoning with aridity for a long time now. The consequences of that mindset are finally coming home to roost, and Glen Canyon Dam may be one of the first big casualties. At Glen Canyon, the drama of the Colorado River unfolds, an important and noble venture for all Americans. I'm Alex Hager. 
The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low around zero and wind chill values as low as negative 15. One to two inches of snow accumulation is possible. Friday should be sunny during the day with a high around 15 degrees. Wind chill values could be as low as negative 15. Friday night, expect clear skies with a low around zero and wind chill values as low as negative 10. Saturday calls for sunny skies during the day and mostly clear skies at night with a high around 30 degrees and a low around 10. This has been the news for Thursday, December 15th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hello, Koto listeners. This is Claire from Telluride Chamber Music. I just wanted to let you know about a great concert we have coming up on Wednesday, December 21st, 6 p.m. at the Palm, which will kick off our winter season. The phenomenal and highly acclaimed multi-string quartet Invoke will be performing a concert that takes you on a journey of genres. A co-presentation with Palm Arts, you can expect a wonderful evening of music that spans from traditional string quartet to bluegrass, Americana, holiday music, and everything in between. There's something for everyone in this program, and it'll be a great way to celebrate the winter solstice and the upcoming holidays. The venue is the Michael D. Palm Theatre. It's on Wednesday, December 21st at 6pm, and tickets are available at www.telluridepalm.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you there. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.